So I want to ask you a question. When have you had the opportunity to speak parting words into somebody's life? When have you had that special gift of actually knowing that you're speaking parting words into somebody's life and getting to speak that truth over them? And I've had this opportunity a few times in my life, uh, and actually the most powerful ones for me have all happened in the span of just the last few years. I've dropped two daughters off at college, and I said goodbye to a grandmother. And now when I was dropping my daughters off at college, I, you know, we knew, you kind of know that this moment is coming. We've unpacked the dorm room, and we've made the final target run, and we're walking down the hallway, and I just know This is the moment that I have to say goodbye. And I want my words to mean something. I want them to be powerful words, words that that they'll just change their life and be profound and, and they'll hold on to through their entire college journey. And so I'm placing a lot of pressure on myself as we're walking and making these final steps. And I think if you asked my daughters... So what were your mom's parting words to you? They probably not even remember what I said because they would remember the emotion (laughs) that was coming out of me instead. See, in my desire to have powerful words, all that came out was some sort of squeak about, just follow Jesus (laughs) and I love you. And then my husband was like, come on, honey, we need to go. And an even more powerful and hard moment was when I said goodbye to my grandmother. And that was a sweet gift from the Lord. Just precious. I don't know if you've had that opportunity to get to say a final goodbye to somebody that you dearly love. To know that this is the last moment I will get to be with you, physically present with you on this side of eternity. And I also wanted those words to mean something I wanted them to hold the power that they deserved for her in that moment. To tell her, I am a different woman because of you. Your fingerprints are all over my life. I love you so much. And as I sat there in those final moments and I held her hand for that final time, And the clock was ticking because there was a flight to catch and I knew I had to say goodbye. My words fell woefully short. There were no words to sum up what I wanted to say to her. See, we know our last words count, don't we? We know our first words count too, actually. But for us... As people, we actually don't know we're getting ready to enter into a significant relationship with somebody. And so our first words tend to be a little bit hollow and empty. I mean, think about when you met one of your closest friends. All you said to her was probably, hi, I'm Jody." Well, hopefully you didn't say that because that would have been weird. (laughs) But you said your name. And it didn't hold the power but that relationship became so significant. Now, if you were writing a novel, perhaps you could 
make those words really powerful if you were going to tell a story about this powerful relationship and friendship. We'd make those words count, wouldn't we? Well, Jesus, his words don't fall woefully short like ours do. And he makes his very first words to his disciples and his very last words to his disciples count. He lets them hold significant weight They do not fall woefully short like ours do. And so I want to start our time this morning by looking at Jesus' very first words to his disciples and then his final words to his disciples because in these two sets of words, there is something so important for us to learn about not only what he called the disciples to do, but what he's calling us to do as well. Well, his very first words to his disciples, and it's actually just Peter and Andrew at this point, are found in Matthew 4, 19. And he says these words to them. He says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. There's so much packed into this phrase that he speaks over them. It's an invitation Come, follow me. Be my disciple. It's what a disciple is, a follower of somebody worthy to be followed. And Jesus is very worthy to be followed. And I will send you out. He makes a promise to them. I will do something. This is a promise. And then he gives them an invitation to a totally new purpose. I will send you out to fish for people. See, they had been fishers of fish, which was a noble and worthy profession. They fed their families and they fed their community. And he's saying, I actually want you to do something even more important. I want to send you out to fish for people. And so these are the very first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, and they matter In fact, we've kind of sat in these words here at IBC, and this is where we get the phrase missionary discipleship from. As a disciple, we're a follower of Jesus. This is a calling on all of our lives. But the next step is that we are sent out, and that is the missionary piece. And they go hand in hand. We cannot be a missionary without being a disciple, and we cannot be a disciple unless We are missionaries. And so we call this missionary discipleship. So let's look at Jesus' last words. And that's what you studied this week in Acts. Jesus' very last moments physically present on earth. And he says these final parting words to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now there's one thing that I want to point out to you before we move on in this passage. And that is the fact that these disciples lived in a very unique time and space in history. Jesus has risen from the grave. He is living 
again, but he has not ascended into heaven. This is this amazing few days that these people are witnessing of Jesus resurrected, yet still physically present with them on earth. And that is why they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus has told them and taught them. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 16, the first half of that chapter is all about Jesus telling them, it's gonna be better for you when I go away because then I will send the Holy Spirit and he will dwell within you and he will tell you everything you need to know. Words from my Father remind you of the truth counsel you, convict you, and here we learn in Acts 1.8, empower you. And so they were waiting, but we, we live on this other side of that. Jesus has ascended. He is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father. And Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, minces no words when it tells us that we have received this same Holy Spirit as soon as we believe we receive. So make no mistake about it. As you are studying scripture and you are examining these scriptures, do we have this Holy Spirit? Is there a second thing we're supposed to do to receive the Holy Spirit? No. You believe and you receive the same Holy Spirit that empowered these disciples now indwells you and indwells me. That's amazing. So what's similar about these two verses? I actually misspoke. That's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 if you were taking notes. Not sure what 17 and 18 says. Somebody can look that up and tell me later. <laughs> um, so what's the similarity between these first and last spoken words. Well, I think there are two similarities that I want us to key in on. And first is that the call is always dependent upon God. When he first calls these disciples, he says, I will send you. Jesus, I will do it. And here in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will empower you. See, both of these callings are 100% fueled by God. The second thing I want you to notice is that the calling is to share Jesus with the world. Both callings are all about us sharing Jesus with our world. Beginning to end. First words to last words. I want you to share me. Be my witnesses. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but I do know I have a very negative connotation of Christian witness. In fact, one of the very first things that pops into my head is this encounter I had in Chicago. Walking down the street, and a man was literally standing on a box yelling at us, you're gonna go to hell. And I was like, he just pointed at me. <laughs> like, he knows nothing about me. First of all, no, I'm not, because I know Jesus. Uh, but secondly, if I didn't, I don't wanna know your God. 
I want nothing to do with that. And so I think we have these images of what it means to be a Christian witness. Maybe you've been told or trained about going door to door and knocking on strangers' doors. When's the last time a stranger knocked on your door and you were happy to see them? I don't think that's a very effective way to witness anymore. So I think we need to redefine and reshape this word witness so that it doesn't create a bitter taste in our mouth when we read it and when we hear it. So let's talk about it. What does it mean to witness? We all know what that means. It means that we tell the truth about something, about what we've seen or what we've heard or what we know. It's, it's what we do if you're ever called to be a witness in a legal setting. It's just telling the truth about something. Well, that's exactly what it is, a witness. So, let's look at what the disciples did. How did they witness? Well, the first thing that we're going to see as we read through Acts is that they preached the truth. They told people what had happened. They told people willing audiences. They told hostile audiences. They stood up in front of courts where people were going to try and, and beat them and send them to prison, and they still spoke the truth. They witnessed. Now, one of the things that's really important to understand about, again, this time and space in history and what they were trying to do is that they were specifically trying to correct an error. Matthew 28, 11 through 15, tells us that the Jews had to make up a story for what happened to Jesus' body. See, they've got an empty grave to deal with. And they've got to answer to people in authority about where did that man go? And so the story that they came up with was, well, the disciples stole his body. That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, there were guards there, and there was this huge, heavy stone, but the disciples, they came in and they did it. We, had, we don't know how it happened. So they made up this lie. They fabricated this story. And you read in Acts 1 why they were um, choosing a new disciple to replace Judas, that it was important for that person to have been an eyewitness from beginning to end. And this is one of the main reasons, is because they needed to confront the lie that was being told. Now, once that lie has been confronted, we see, of course, the gospel continue to move forward. And we are also witnesses in a different way. We witness to what we know and what is true because of what Jesus has done in our life. So we are eyewitnesses in a little different way. So we see that they preach, they tell the truth, they use their words. The second thing that we see the disciples do is we see them be totally unified totally one. They are gathered together. I love this verse in Acts 1.14 that you read this week. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all join together constantly in prayer. And here's what I love about this. 
it wasn't just the original disciples. The women were there too. In fact, the brothers were there. New converts were there. It was all of those who believed in Jesus. It wasn't just the leaders. Everyone was there. And they were one and they were unified. And Acts 4, as we'll read later, tells us that, that this group of people had no need because they took care of each other in this beautiful and profound way. Later, um, history tells us that almost every single one of the original disciples was killed for their belief. They were martyred for their faith. And this is also a witness because there are not many people that are willing to die for the truth. And I don't know anyone who's willing to die for a lie. The disciples held their ground and that is a witness. In fact, the New Testament uses, translate this word witness sometimes as martyr. It is a witness to us. So they witnessed with their very lives. I would sum it up this way. They witnessed with both words and actions. So how should we then witness today? Well, I would say we witness the exact same way the disciples did, with our words and with our actions. Now, I've been reading um, an interesting book with a a small group that I'm in called Discover Your Mission Now. It's by a man named Dave Ferguson, and he is a, a pastor out of Chicago. And in this book, he talks about this study that he came across where two groups went to Thailand. Um, one of them, both Christians groups, one of them went with the express purpose of converting the people that they met. And then the other group went with the expressed purpose of blessing the people that they met. So you've got your converters and your blessers. Well, I'm guessing you can imagine some of what happened with that. Um, first of all, who, what, what community do you think flourished because they were there? The people that came just to convert or the people that came with the primary purpose of blessing? The blessing, of course. Who do you think actually converted more people? Yeah, the blessers. But here's the astonishing thing. 48 to 1. 48 conversions for every one conversion. The converters just used their words. The blessers went in with a posture of, who can I be helpful to today? Who can I love? How can I help you? And they listened to the needs, but make no mistake, they didn't just stop with their actions. They closed the loop. They shared Jesus. Romans 10, 14 says this, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, we can bless all day long. 
and we can maybe make the world a better place because of it. But until we tell the reason why, we don't close the loop. Now, Dave Ferguson kept kind of digging into this blessing versus converting model, and he came up with his own model. And it is a model, it is not a formula, but he calls it bless. Now, we did a whole sermon series on this here at IBC a few years ago, and if you attend our foundation group, you'll hear about it there as well. But I want to run through quickly with you, what does this bless model mean, and how can we live into it a little differently? So first of all, it is begin with prayer. The B stands for begin with prayer. And this, while some of the other steps may be moved around, this is always the beginning. This is always where we start. This is a prayer that says, Lord, who can I bless today? And he will answer that prayer. I promise you, he will answer that prayer. The second thing is listen. We've said around here numerous times, to love well is to listen well. We feel loved when people listen to us, when they take an interest in us. And so when somebody, the Lord brings someone to mind, listen to them. The next thing is to eat together. Well, this is hard and easy, right? We all love to eat, but yet none of us make space to have meals with people we don't know very often. But there's something amazing that happens when we sit down with someone and we face them eye to eye. We communicate by our posture of sitting with you, of sharing something together that we have space for you in our lives. So listen and eat. And then the second, or the first S is serve. We serve, though, in meaningful and tangible ways based on what we've heard. See, that's what the blessers did in Thailand. They didn't assume that they knew what this community need. They asked, how can we serve you? How can we make this better for you? What do you need? And then they did it. And then finally, share. Share your story. Share your story. This may be the hardest part, to share our story. How has Jesus changed our lives? Can we give people a story about the hope that we have? About maybe how we've come through a hard season because of how the Lord carried us through. Perhaps we can tell them about what our life was like before Jesus and what it's like now. How has he been present in your life? Share that story. Because unless they hear about him, they won't know about him. Well, there are all kinds of things that hold us back, aren't there? There's all kinds of things that hold me back. Okay, I'm going to take responsibility for this. This is a sermon for me. You guys just get to go on the journey with me. So let me tell you some of my fears. First is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you're going to ask me a question I don't know an answer to. I'm afraid that I'm going to look foolish. I'm afraid 
that it's going to be socially awkward when I bring up Jesus. I have all kinds of fears that do a great job at helping me keep my mouth closed. Another thing that holds me back is time. I have a lot of relationships in my life. Creating space for new ones is not an easy thing to do, especially for people I don't know yet. My life is full. Your life is full. We are past capacity. We don't have margin. We don't have space. And so that also holds us back. Another thing that holds me back is um, I don't want to offend you. See, the gospel's offensive, isn't it? When we get right down to it. Because what I'm saying to you is that I know the truth and you don't. That's offensive. I am saying that there are not many ways. There is one way. And you don't know what it is, and I do. And Jesus told us, yes, the gospel is offensive. He said, they will hate you because they hated me first. So be prepared to be offensive. Oh, that sounds like all kinds of fun, doesn't it? I don't want to be offensive. But I want to tell you the biggest reason why I perhaps don't share. I lack conviction. I lack conviction that you need Jesus. I lack conviction that your life is going to be so much better if you know him. See, I look at my neighbor next door and I say to myself, they got plenty of food. In fact, they know where their next thousand meals are coming from. They got a nice roof over their head. We smile and we talk about how our tomato plants are growing. I lack conviction that he needs Jesus. (laughs) We lack conviction that there is a hell. And that when we don't tell people, they will live in eternity without him. I lack conviction. Do you lack conviction with me? Do we really, really believe this? Is it really true? Do we study this Bible every day? This Jesus, do we believe that he has saved us for eternal life and we can't share it with someone because it may be awkward? I lack conviction. What about you? There's a, um, a comedian magician group named Penn and Teller. And uh, I don't know if you know who they are, but they're quite famous in the magician world. And um, Penn, one of the 
men in this group is a renowned atheist. In fact, he takes great pleasure in debunking Christianity. His name is Pendulet. And um, if you have time, I would love for you to Google this when you get home and listen to him tell this story. It'll pop right up. Pendulet on proselytizing. You can Google it. So it's about this man who comes to his show and he returns the next night. And he waits for him because he wants to talk to him afterward. And he comes up to him and he hands him a small Bible, a New Testament and the Psalms, something like that. And he says to him, hey, I really enjoyed your show. Really enjoyed it. I want you to have this. I wrote something in the front of it and he said he opened it up. It doesn't say anything special. It's just got his name and like six phone numbers, he said, because he was a pretty accomplished businessman. This is what he says about him. He says he was kind and nice and sane and he looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then he gave me this Bible. And then he says this. I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. Because if you believe there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he goes on to say, if you believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was bearing down on me and I didn't believe it, at some point you would tackle me to get me out of the way. And this is so much more important than that. Those are his words. The words of a man who is an atheist who says, if you really believe this, how can you keep it to yourself? So who shared with you? Who's responsible for you being here today? And maybe it was your parents. Maybe you've had this a, a, a beautiful story of, of knowing since birth. Then I would say, who told your parents or your grandparents or that dear friend of yours that has made such an impact in your life, who told them? See, they will not know unless somebody tells them. And we do really good at blessing people with our actions, but we tend to not close the loop into our words. So where's your witness? Do you know that there were 120, 120 original disciples? 120. That the Holy Spirit came into and they sent out into the world and changed the world. We are a direct result of their work. There are more women in this room this morning than the original disciples. And the same Holy Spirit indwells us too. So what is holding us back 
And like I told you, this is a message for me. See, the Lord has convicted me that I need to be in a blessed relationship with my neighbors. With those neighbors that I drive down the street and I pass their house every single day and I don't know their names and I don't know their stories. And so a couple of years ago, I actually took the bold step to send an email and say, hey, we're gonna have a happy hour at our house. We'd love to meet you and get to know our neighbors. And do you know what happened? Every single one of them came because they wanted to know each other too. See, we long to be neighbors with each other. It wasn't actually that bold of a step in the first place. They all came and they all thanked me profusely. Thank you so much for doing this. This is such a great idea. I'm like, well, we'll do it every month. And then they started to want to host it. And, and so that was awesome because then we didn't have to do it and would let us go into other people's homes, which I think is so important to be in people's spaces. Well, we did a really good job of beginning with prayer, of listening and eating. But we stopped there. And then busyness took over, and so we stopped gathering. And then the Lord started speaking again. Hey, Jody, remember, I want you to be in relationship with them. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Drive down the street again, Jody, remember? You keep praying and you keep asking who. I've already told you who. Okay, yeah, I'll get to that. That's why I told you this message is for me. So they're coming over Friday night. And I want to tell you, I don't want to just be blah to them. Because that's all I did. Blah, Did that, is that all we want to be? I didn't serve them and I did not share my story. So you can hold me accountable too. Because I love them. As I've gotten to know them, I love them. They are God's creation and they are far from him, but he wants to bring them near. Some of them actually already know him. So I have like some partners in crime. We can change our street. I know we can. We in this room can make an impact on people's lives. If we really believe that what he has done for us has saved us for eternity, We've got to overcome our fears to share that with people. And here's the thing. This is not guilt. This is Holy Spirit-empowered work. This is not something we have to come up with the words on our own. Remember, the Holy Spirit will come, and then you will be my witnesses. And we have already received that Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to share our story with people in love.
So let's take the risk. Let's commit to each other that we're going to pray for people, that we're going to be willing to be bold and socially awkward, because guess what? They may think we're socially awkward, but we don't think you are. We love you. You can come back to us, and we'll hug you and tell you it's okay. So maybe we can just be a little more bold and take a few more risks. That's my challenge to us. Jesus' first words and his last words from beginning to end has been to share him with the world. That is what he is calling us to do. And I believe to the core of my being that we will find deep and lasting joy and satisfaction when we follow him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Thank you, first of all. Thank you that you have opened our eyes to the truth of who you are and that you have saved us, Lord. And I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that happens to not know you, Lord, would you help them take that bold step to know you? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts who you want us to enter into a blessed relationship with. Not that we would convert without action, but that we would use our actions for your glory and for your good so that we can share our story in a very natural way, Lord. Holy Spirit, do it through us. Let us be powerful and impactful. Let us go out and transform this city just like the disciples transformed their communities. And may it be for your glory, Lord. May it be for your glory. And let us come back here and celebrate the stories. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.